Uh, I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but Sunday, Sunday, last week studying, getting ready for Sunday, uh, God just kind of convicted me and opened my eyes to where we are in our, our, our state. Are y'all with me? Uh, the condition of the church in America and what, what's, what is coming. I don't, I don't think God ever uh, gives us a truth or gives us a word uh, without knowing what's coming down the pike. See, God's already been in our next week and in our next month and our next year. Do you know he already knows who's going to get elected? He sure does. He already knows. He already knows what's coming. And that's why he's telling us what he's telling us. That's why he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because I know what's coming and what's coming is not good. Perilous times are coming. And, and so I, I just couldn't shake it. I, I really was. I was kind of deliberating uh, what next book do we want to study? You know, on Wednesday night, we try to just pick out a book and go through it verse by verse, book by book. And, uh, and I was really praying and saying, God, where do you want us to go? And, uh, and I, I just felt like he said, just hunker down where you are. Say in Hebrews. And so we're going to go back to the beginning and start at the beginning because what they were addressing and what they were going through is what we're going to be going through and what we're going to be facing. So the book of Hebrews is going to kind of run parallel to where the, 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 the state of the church and, and the condition and what we're facing coming up in the near future. Now, if that makes sense, say amen. And, and I want to do this. I want to thank you guys. I don't do this enough. I don't do this enough, and I want to do this more. Uh, I want to thank you guys for your faithfulness. Thank you for showing up on Wednesday night when you could have been anywhere you wanted to be, but you were here to be edified, to be taught, uh, to grow in your faith, and it is an encouragement to me to see your smiling faces. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right? Now, grab your Bibles. Tonight's going to be the introduction, so we're not going to get far in chapter number one. Uh, matter of fact, I gave you just a little brief outline of, of verses one, two, and three, uh, that if we get there, if we get there, you have, uh, you have this, you have just the, the, the three little points, uh, but I got this, say amen. And so if we have time, we're going to fill in some of that in between and I'm going to just preach it and you can just write it wherever you want to write it. Uh, but it, I don't think we're going to have time to get to it, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we've got till Jesus comes. Amen. And so we're just going to go slow through this and, and, and be deliberate and, and let us see what God has for us. Okay. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews verse number one, chapter number one. If you're there, say amen. amen. God, God, that's a good start. Amen. amen. It's all about him. He was here before anything was. Listen, he is eternal. He always has been and always will be. Everything started with him. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his his son. Jesus, his son, ushered in the last days, all right, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. It's, it's getting good already. He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And all God's people say it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you so much for a group of people who want to learn. Lord, they want to be prepared. They want to be ready for what is coming down the pike. They want to be prepared for the times that are ahead. Father, I pray right now that you will develop us, encourage us, edify us tonight. Lord, I, I pray that you'll help me to remember the stuff I've studied. 
I pray that you'll uh, just, just deliver it in such a way that every single person in this room can, can get something that's going to encourage them and help them. Lord, I pray that you don't let me say anything I, I'm not supposed to. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't, but don't let me forget anything I should. Lord, help me, I pray. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide my words and my thoughts. And God will be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> the whole theme, I, I, I believe we could say to the book of Hebrews is the preeminence of Christ. The preeminence of Christ. And we're going to go into uh, why he is writing this letter, why he is writing this, this encouragement and this exhortation to them. And it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's why Christ is better. Uh, uh, why Christ is enough. It's the preeminence of Christ. Now, the word preeminence. Read it with me, if you will. If you've, if you've got your notes there at Fairview, uh, if you'll follow along with us there. Uh, preeminence means, this is, let's, let's look at the definition. The fact of, let's all read it. The fact of surpassing all others and superiority. He, he surpasses all others. He is superior to all others and all things. Christ, the preeminence of Christ. I looked up Colossians chapter one and what we just read, uh, what we just read in in verses one through three, it kind of matches up. It kind of matches up, if you will, with Colossians one, starting in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Meet is mean uh, uh, ready. Uh, meet means equal or, or uh, worthy of. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his, say it with me. His dear son. Who's his son? Jesus. So that's who we're, we're, we're referencing here in these verses. The Lord Jesus Christ. In whom, talking about his son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image, remember that what we just read in verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Look what Colossians said. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. That sounds like Hebrews 1, right? It says, by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. Read it with me. All things were created by him and Keep that in mind. That will help you in times to come. You really need to understand that you were made for him he was not made for you. Amen. This whole thing in life, everything in life, the, 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 listen, the sooner we understand that it's not about me, it's not about you, it's all about him, the, the, the better off we're going to be. It's for him. It was by him. It's through him. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now watch this. Why did God do everything he did? Why did he set it up the way he did? Why is it all designed the way it is? Read it with me. That in how many things? All things he might have the what? The preeminence. That he is priority, that he is first, that he surpasses everything and everybody in importance in your life. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. The preeminence of Christ. Now, who is the writer? Write this. Unknown. We do not know. We do not know. Some people say it was Paul. Some people say it was Apollos. Some have said it was Peter. You know, there's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of uh, maritime verbiage in it, talking about 
the anchor that holds and, and so forth and so on. So, so some people think, well, he was a sailor or he was a fisherman. So that obvious, that must be Peter who was writing this. Some, some say it was Aquila, but it, she wouldn't put her name there because it was a woman. Uh, but here, the truth is, we don't know. We have no idea. God did not put their name there. And I think, I think really, because it goes with the theme that the writer is not important. Who he's writing about is what's important. So either way, there's no reason to speculate about any of that. It's unknown. We just, we just don't know. Uh, who are the recipients? Who are the recipients to this? Now there, there are some things we do know. There are some things we do know about who he's writing to. Uh, the title gives uh, a lot of that away as far as we know these are Jews that he is speaking to. Uh, but there's some things we don't know uh, uh, in specific. So let me give you what we do know. All right. Here, here's one thing we do know. We know they're believers. Write that down. We know they are believers. He says in Hebrews 3, 1. 3.1, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Now, you're not going to call unbelievers, lost people, holy brethren. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. So we know, we know he is writing to, he's addressing uh, Jewish believers, okay? Jewish believers. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. All right, number two. We, we, we do know they're not only believers, but they are second generation believers. They are second generation believers. In other words, they, well, let me read the verse. Let me read the verse and get ahead of myself. Hebrews chapter two, verse three says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first, watch this, at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. So the Lord the Lord spoke about this salvation and was confirmed unto us by them that heard them. In other words, they did not hear the Lord. They heard who heard the Lord. Are y'all with me? They were one by who was one by Christ. So the followers of Christ in person were the ones who witnessed to this crowd of believers. They were second generation Believers. Now, why is that a big deal? So, preacher, why in the world do you put that in the outline? Because you got to understand that puts it more like us. That puts it more like us. Was anybody there at the crucifixion? Anybody? Was there anybody there at the resurrection? Did anybody get to hear the Sermon on the Mount in person? Now, I was there where it happened, but he wasn't there then. Y'all with me? I had to believe the word of someone else. Does that make sense? And so this is who we're talking about. We're, we're talking about people who, and I didn't even put the date in there. I put all this other stuff and I forgot to put. We're looking at a time span, probably about 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. Okay. So it's close. It's close. Probably 55 to 60 A.D. Okay, it was right before, right before the destruction of the temple, before Titus came in and destroyed the temple in 70. If y'all remember that, amen. The temple was spoke about many times here in Hebrews. So we know the temple was still in existence. They were still offering sacrifices. The priesthood was still, you know, doing their thing, going through the motions and all of that stuff. And so this is the period of time. Jesus had done gone back. The people who were witnesses of Jesus and all that he did, they had died. And they had translated and transferred the, the truth and the gospel to this group of people. They didn't see Jesus, but they heard from the ones that did. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay, second generation. They were second generation believers. Then number three, maybe... Maybe it's a great possibility that they were Jewish Christians in Rome. Jewish Christians in Rome. And say, so why do we say that? Why is that a speculation? Because in Hebrews 13, 24, when he's, he's given the salutation at the end, Hebrews 13, 24 says, salute all them that have the rule over you. In other words, those that lead you and all the saints and they of Italy salute you. In other words, 
where, whoever's writing this, wherever he is writing from, he is telling the people he's writing to, hey, y'all, the folks from Italy say, hey. Y'all with me? So many, many scholars believe, many commentators believe that he, he is writing to Jewish Christians in Rome. Because of the persecution they're going through, because of what they're facing, uh, they really believe that this is talking about Jewish Christians in Rome. Because the people that are with him doing the writing are greeting the Italians there to who he's writing to. So most likely that he is writing to Jewish Christians in Rome. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right. Now, so we see the recipients. We see who's getting this letter. Let's look at the setting. Let's look at the setting. Let's look at, this is basically why they're getting this letter. All right, we see who's getting the letter. Now let's see why they're getting this letter. First of all, they were being persecuted. Write that down. They were being persecuted. Hebrews 10.32, Hebrews 10.32 says this, But Calder remembers the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly while ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used, for ye had compassion on me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. In other words, they were they lost their possessions, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and, and enduring substance. Preacher, what was going on? They were being persecuted. The word gazing stock, the word gazing stock in this means spectacle. They were being mocked. They were being made fun of. They were, they were being persecuted. You see, if, if, you were a, if you were a Jew and you became a follower of Christ, you were kicked out of the synagogue. You were kicked out of the synagogue. You got to understand, the synagogue was a way of life for the Jewish person. It was the center of life for the Jewish person. And to be kicked out of the synagogue was a big deal. If you were kicked out of temple, you would go to Grace down the road. Or you would go to Second Chance Baptist Church. Or you would go to whatever. But, but that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case in, in Jesus' day. When you were kicked out of the synagogue, I mean, in, in their minds, you were almost banished to hell. To, to, in, in their thought, you were excommunicated. Their families would disown them. Their families would disown them. Uh, they, were, they were having trash thrown on them. They were made a spectacle in the public arena, in the public eye. Uh, I, I, I've seen, and you say, well, how could that be? I've seen di- different denominations. There have been people come here from the Church of Christ denomination, and their family told them they were all going to hell because they were going to a Baptist church. That's reality. That's not a, that's not a makeup thing. I seen that with my own eyes, seen that in person and tried to comfort the ones that that happened to. And I I saw the pain in the, the family member of the ones whose family had disowned them. And so these people are going through some really, really difficult times. Now, according to scripture, the Bible says that they hadn't, uh, they hadn't been persecuted to blood yet. In other words, nobody had been killed yet. Nobody had been martyred. But it was coming. It was coming. Uh, many believe this is during the time of Nero. In the beginning of Nero's reign, uh, he did some good things. I mean, it's kind of like Hitler. Now, many people don't un- know that part of Hitler. But in the very beginning, Hitler saved Germany from, from uh, uh, their, ec- their, their economy. He's the one that was influenced the, the Volkswagen, the people's car, you know. He built the Audubon and all of these things, and it, but then he went nuts. He went, power went to his head, went crazy. Demon possessed, I truly believe. Nero was the same way. In the beginning, it, it was almost like the same process. But toward the end, he began to blame Christians. Toward the end, he, he, he was responsible for the burning of Rome and then blamed it on the Christians so he could persecute and, and, and uh, really... Anyway, that's I'm, I'm I'm getting running rabbit shoot there right pow right there we killed it amen. That's so much I want to talk about right there but we can't we're gonna run out of time anyway. Uh uh, and and so this is the deal this is the deal. If it was if it was Jews in Rome 
this is the thing we got to remember. The Jewish religion wasn't illegal in Rome. So the synagogues could operate. In the synagogues, it was almost like a state-sanctioned or allowed specific religion. But Christianity was considered a rogue religion. It was considered, you know, it, basically it was illegal. It was not an illegal. So, uh, so here, we have, here we have a group of people who have come out of Judaism. They have received the Lord and accepted the Lord. And, and now they're being persecuted because they are, they are really in an illegal sect of people. And they're being persecuted not only by their own families, but they're also being persecuted by the government. And it would be so easy just to go back to the synagogue. Now, does this make sense? Let's just go back. I mean, it's the same God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. Ananias, the, the, the high priest, when, when, when he would kick you out of the synagogue, of any synagogue, wherever Christians were, wherever their, their city was, wherever they lived, whatever village it was, the only way to get back in is you had to stand publicly and deny Christ. Do you remember? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself again. See, I'm in a hurry. I want to get this so bad. All right. So do we see they're being persecuted? Say it with me. They're being persecuted. Number two, number two, they were being seduced, not sexually, not immorally that way, but by false teachers. It wasn't just leave. It wasn't just leave Christianity and go back to Judaism, there were false teachers that were trying to get the committed Christians to just mix them both. You don't have to come all the way back, but don't forget about circumcision. Don't forget about the ceremonial law. You, 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 can, you, can, you can have faith in, in Christ, but you still got to follow the law. In other words, they were trying to mix law and grace together. Which is an abomination. Say amen. amen. You cannot add anything to the gospel and you cannot take anything away from the gospel. If it's grace, it's not works. If it's works, it's not grace. They do not mix. Say amen. amen. And, and so you see how subtle this was. And you see how seductive it was. Oh, you, don't have to, you don't have to completely renounce it, but you can't give up. Does this make sense? And see, what made it even harder is the temple was still in operation. And, and, and they had been doing this their entire life. Their entire life. Their entire grandpa's life. Their entire great-grandpa's life. We're talking about for centuries. This is the way we did it. Now look, some of y'all are looking at me. I know who I'm preaching to. You want to get a Baptist mad, tell him you're going to change something. What, what's the old saying? We ain't never done it that way before. Listen, I, I heard this and it's true. The only one that likes changing the church is the baby in the nursery. And he don't like it too regular. Right? So this was a, this was a hard thing. I mean, this was, this was a difficult, difficult situation they were in. They were being persecuted on one hand, being ostracized, being treated like a spectacle, gazing stock. They were going through affliction. They were losing their property. A lot of them lost their jobs. They lost their livelihood. I wonder how many modern-day Christians today in America would keep going to church if you lost your job, if you did. What if your kids are being made fun of at school? Some of them were tempted because of that. I saw a great t-shirt the other day. It says, if your kid is picking on my kid, you better be able to fight too. I said, yeah. I like it. But, but that's what they were dealing with. That's what they were going through. So before, before we think too bad about them or before we get too self-righteous and high and mighty 
We need to put ourselves in their shoes and see what they were really going through and how great the struggle is. And, and you say, Preacher, why are you even saying that? Because I'm afraid it's coming. We are going to face that. If you're on social media now and you, you post something that, that is clearly the word of God about a certain culture or a certain lifestyle, you're going to get that. Now, now. So just buckle your seatbelts. What they were going through, we're going to go through. What they experience, we're going to experience. We already have false teaching. We already have, we already have, uh, uh, we already have persecution in one shape, form or another. It's coming. It's coming. All right. Now, where do we stop? Okay. They were being seduced. Then number three, their spiritual fathers were gone. Their spiritual fathers were gone. Remember them. Hebrews 13, seven. Remember them which have the rule over you, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. What he's saying here is remember those that led you. Remember those that won you. Remember their faith. Remember their lifestyle. Remember the end of their life and imitate their faith. Preacher, why did you put this in here? Because I'm going to be the first to admit this, that a lot of a lot of my Christian life was greatly influenced by my heroes. And, and a lot that I did, I did to impress them. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, that's you're not supposed to do that. I know that. I know. I know you're that way more spiritual than me, but I'm just telling you. It was easier to do right and live right because I wanted to please my mentors. And I wanted to please my spiritual fathers. And, and, and let's face it, some of the things we did, we did because we were concerned about what they think about us. Travis, would you not want to preach good if dad was in the room? Because he led you to Christ, he mentored you, and you had, you had accountability without him saying anything just by being there. But all of theirs were gone. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. Our kids act like somebody while we're there. But what are they going to act like when we're not? And so the people that led them to Christ, the people that mentored them, the people that, that led them and they were the example in front of them, they're gone now. They're dead now. They've gone on. And so here I am. I'm, I'm having to be the man. I'm having to be the leader and, and be the Christ follower. But now it's getting hard. Yeah. You see, before I could, if I went through something, I could go to my spiritual leader and complain and cry on his shoulder. Or I could run to so-and-so and, and know that, hey, he, he's gone through this before and he's been there before I got there and he'll surely know what to do. Yeah. But now they're gone. And so here we are. Their spiritual fathers are gone. So now they're being persecuted. They're being seduced. Their leaders, their spiritual fathers were gone. They had become, number four, number four, they had become spiritually stagnant. They had become spiritually stagnant. He says in Hebrews 5.12, Hebrews 5.12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. So we know, we know whoever he's writing to, they've been saved a while. They, they were not new Christians. They, they were not brand new converts. They had been saved a while. Let me say that again. They had been saved a while. Saved long enough that they should be teaching this stuff. Now we know, Paul told Timothy, don't give that responsibility to a novice, a newbie, a rookie. 
They're going to get lifted up in pride. You, you, you got to have somebody that's seasoned. You got to have somebody that's an elder. But what, watch what it says. He says, you've been saved long enough that you should be teaching this stuff. But, but look what it says. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk. Who drinks milk? Babies. Babies. And not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a... Preacher, what are you saying? They've been saved long enough. They should be seasoned. They should be mature. They should be Christian adults spiritually. Are y'all with me? But they were babies. Now, what do we take from that? Before you flip your paper... What do we take from that? Age doesn't determine maturity. Length of time, length of time doesn't determine your spiritual maturity. Are y'all with me? I've been in church for 30 years. Yeah, but you still got a pacifier. You still suck your thumb and act like a baby sometimes. Why? Because I, I didn't, I don't think, I forgot to put this verse on there. I can't actually run out of room. But the next verse says they have to be exercised. You get mature by use. In other words, the more you exercise spiritually and scripturally, and you use the word and you practice the word and you, are y'all with me? That's how you develop and that's how you mature. But what, what was going on here? These were people that had been saved a, an extended period of time, an extended length of time. And, and they hadn't matured. They hadn't matured. Matter of fact, they are being, it, it is, it is a, 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 a great possibility. They're going backwards. They're going backwards. Now, what can we take from that? You're either going forwards. There's no neutral. There's no neutral in the transmission of the Christian life. You're either going forward or backwards. Say it with me. You're either going forward or backwards. And they become stagnant. Now, we know. We know, and it's not in your notes, but we know this because we talked about this Sunday. What, what did he say? What did he say in Hebrews? What did he say in Hebrews 10? He said, let us uh, uh, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. They were drifting from the word. And you'll find this to be a, a, key, a, a key theme, if you will, the word. Drifting from the word, doubting the word. Uh, despising the word, the word of God. It, it started with drifting. Lest we let them slip. That'll, that'll be in chapter number two. And it's talking about, that's that, that's that, you remember that maritime vocabulary? That slipping, that, and that word means to drift away. You have a truth, you have the knowledge, you have, you have the word of God, but you've neglected it and now you are drifting, drifting. And because you're drifting, you always, listen, watch this now. The moment you get saved, you are swimming upstream. Y'all with me? Upstream. You're going against the current of society. You're going against the current of culture. You're going against the things of this world, the God of this world, and and, and the darkness of this world. Are y'all with me? And the moment that you stop, That's why there's no neutral. You're either going forward or you're. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So how do we go backwards? Do nothing. Neglect. That's the word. Neglect. Okay. All right. All right. Can y'all listen faster? All right, here's some key words. Here's some key words. Good stuff right here. Key words. Remember this. 
remember this. When there's repetition, when you're studying your Bible, when you're studying your Bible, whether it's your own personal devotions or whether uh, just you want to study a chapter to teach it or preach it or whatever you want to do. When you see something repeated, that's important. When you see something over and over and over and over, he's trying to tell you something. Are y'all with me? Uh, he's trying to, to say, hey, hey, this is important. And so let's look, at, let's look at a few key words that will help us understand this book. Because guys, tonight, we're, we're getting the intro, okay? So don't, don't get upset if we don't get through chapter. Well, I'm just telling you, we ain't going to get through chapter one. Uh, we're going to try to get to a couple of the verses, first, first three verses. But the point is, you're going to get an overview because when you see the overall picture, it's easier to see the pieces. Does that make sense? All right. Now, here's a, here's a, a few key words. First word is better. Better. This word is used 13 times in this book. As the writer shows the superiority of Jesus Christ and his salvation. Listen, he's better. I had it, I had it listen, I had it in here. But I, I, all the times that he's better, he's better than Moses, he's better than the prophets, he's better than the angels, he's, he, he's a better covenant, he's a better priest, he's a better prophet, he's a better, are y'all with me? Amen. Over and over and over and over, he is showing the superiority of Jesus Christ and his salvation over the Hebrew system of religion. Christ is better than the angels, Hebrews 1.4. He brought in a better hope, Hebrews 7.19, because he's the mediator of a better what? covenant which was established on better what promises he's just better he's just better what in the world would you want to go back to that for when what you have is better he's better than everything he's better than everything that you had over here he's better just name one thing over here he's better than that that's what he's doing. That's what he's saying. Look, he's comparing. The whole book of Hebrews is a con- contrast between the old and the new. And the new is better than the old. All right. Say amen. amen. Now watch. So better. Better is a great word. Would you all agree? Yes. Better is a good word. Number two. I like this one. You're going to like this one. Perfect. 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 This word in the original Greek is used 14 times. Now watch what it means. Watch what it means. It means a perfect standing before God. Hallelujah. A perfect standing before God. This perfect, in other words, my standing with God As if I have never, ever committed one single sin. I stand before God in absolute, complete, perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. He's attributed his perfection to my account. Now watch. You couldn't get that in the old. Let me show you. Let me show you. Watch this. Watch this. The perfection, this perfection that we're talking about, it could never be accomplished by the Levitical priesthood. Look at Hebrews 7, 11. It says, if therefore, what's that word? Perfection is right there in your notes, right there below in your notes. If therefore, what? perfection were by the Levitical priesthood for under it, the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. And we're going to go into detail. Don't let that confuse you. In other words, he's saying if the old Testament priesthood could have made you perfect before God, why in the world did we need a new one? If the line, you say, why couldn't the line of Aaron? Because they were sinners. They were imperfect. 
The priest in the Old Testament, before he could offer a sacrifice for your sin, he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. He was imperfect, so he had an imperfect sacrifice, and there needed to be a perfect priest who could offer a perfect sacrifice for a perfect standing before a perfect God. Are y'all with me? And he's saying, you didn't have that. That, that, that priesthood that you want to go back to, that old way that you want to go back to, they couldn't offer that. You didn't have a perfect standing before God. Watch this. Watch this. Or this perfection could never be accomplished by the, the priesthood, the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. Or by the what? The law. The law. Look what it says in Hebrews seven nineteen. For the law made... The, the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. By the way, so w- w- preach, what are you saying? How many speed limit laws made you go to speed limit? Well, you rare. <clears throat> Think about this. They don't. And they can't. They don't have, they can't make you. They don't have the power. Matter of fact, as we get into another book of the Bible, we're going to find out the law doesn't do nothing but incite rebellion in you. You walk by, you walk by a park bench and it says, do not touch wet paint. What you going to do? Come on. If the speed limit's 65, what are you going to do? Don't you lie in church. That's right. It's imperfect. Matter of fact, we're going to learn that the law was never made to make you perfect. The law was to show you you wasn't perfect. Anyway, that's a whole other message. We'll let Brother Travis teach that one. <clears throat> Look here, not only the Levitical priesthood could not make me perfect before God, the law couldn't make me perfect before God, nor, nor could the blood of animal sacrifices. Look what it says, Hebrews 10, 1. Hebrews 10, 1 says, for the law having a shadow. Oh, that's a good word. Shadow. You ought to underline that circle it, put a star around it, little flashing lights beside it. You see, the Old Testament was nothing but a shadow. Say, what is a shadow? It's out there. Oh, look here. Y'all can't see it. But, But there's a light and the shadow goes out there. The shadow is pointing to the one making it. The shadow is not the substance. The Old Testament was the shadow. The New Testament in Christ is the substance. Are y'all with me? Now watch what it says about that shadow. It says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very what? Image of the thing. It's not the substance. It's not the reality. Can never. Say it with me. Can Never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto Preacher, why is that such a big deal? That's why they had to keep doing it. Why did they have to keep making sacrifices? Because they kept sinning. And the sacrifice was an arrangement made by God for them to have the ability to come in relationship to him. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And it was a temporary fix for a serious problem. And those sacrifices could never make you perfect. Are y'all with me? They did not, by the way, it says their sins were covered. But do you know what the Bible says about the Lamb of God? Which what? Taketh away. In the Old Testament, their sin was covered. In the New Testament, it's 
Say amen. amen. That's why you have the ability to stand. Does that make sense? And you want to go back to that? You want to go back to that? You want to go back to what's temperate? You want to go back to the shadow? Why would you want the shadow when you can have the real deal? Amen. Hmm. Look here. Jesus Christ gave himself as one offering for sin. And by the, how, how often did the high priest have to go in there? Every year. Every, and by the way, that wasn't the only sacrifice were made. They sacrificed animals every day. Throughout the day, people were bringing sin sacrifices, burnt offering, all of these things. But when Jesus died, that was it. That was it. Look what it says. Jesus Christ gave himself as one offering for sin. And by this, he has what? He has, come on everybody. He has perfected, what's the next word? Forever, perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's you and me, by the way. And you want to go back? You want to go back to that temporary shadow? No, he's better. Perfect. A perfect standing before God. The, 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 the old priesthood couldn't do it. The law couldn't do it. The, the, the sacrifice of the Old Testament blood sacrifice couldn't do it. But Jesus did it. He's better. Number three. Here's, a, here's an important key word. Eternal. Eternal. The writer is contrasting the Old Testament system of law and the New Testament ministry of grace. He is making it clear that the Jewish religious system was temporary and that it could not bring in the eternal better things that are found in Jesus Christ. Eternal is a word that is important to the message of Hebrews. Christ is the author of eternal salvation. Through his death, he obtained eternal redemption. He shares with believers the promise of an eternal inheritance. His throne is forever. He's a priest forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you combine these three important words, you discover that Jesus Christ and the Christian life he gives us are better. Because these blessings are what? Eternal. And they give us a perfect standing before God. The religious system under the Mosaic law was imperfect because it could not accomplish a once for all redemption that was eternal. Eternal. Number four. I added this one late. Added this one late. You don't see the word as many times as you see the others, but I think it's important. So we, we, we went ahead and put it. The word profession. Profession. Hebrews 3, 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our Hebrews 10, 23. Let us, we, we read this Sunday, remember? We, we, we put this, let's exhort one another, encourage one another. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now remember, remember what had to happen. What had to happen? If they went back to the synagogue, the only way they could get back in the synagogue is that they was to stand publicly and deny Christ. Now what is salvation? When we publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a profession of our faith. Are y'all with me? That we are a believer in Christ. We are a follower of Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. He is my King. He is my Savior. I cannot deny Him. Say amen. Amen. And and the writer is saying, hold on to that. Hold fast that profession. Don't be tempted to go back. Don't be tempted to deny Christ. Don't be tempted. Are y'all with me? Hold fast your profession. Hold fast your profession. 
Listen, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't quit. Now, now, I think we have nine minutes. That's three minutes a point. So we're going to use all of them. Say amen. Let me just give you three things. Three things. We're not going to get all this stuff, but it's good. First of all, let's go back to verse one. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay, so first of all, we see a past revelation. A past revelation. God spoke. You say, why does it say God spoke? Because we couldn't get to God. God came to us. The natural cannot get to the supernatural. So the supernatural came down to the natural. Are y'all with me? God came to us. We couldn't get to him. So he came to us and he spoke and he is speaking. Are y'all with me? Now watch, watch what it says. Who at sundry times. Now, now the word sundry means many portions, right? Several, many portions. In other words, there's several places. There's several different places. We see he has spoke in divers manners. In other words, different ways. If you go through the Old Testament, you'll find out that he spoke in visions. He spoke in parables. He spoke in straight from his voice. He speaks in types and symbols and all of these things. And by the way, it's all incomplete. It's all incomplete. It's all a piece here, a piece there. One book talks about his birth. One book talks about how he was going to be born of a virgin. One book talks about where he was going to be born. One book talks about, are y'all with me? Different one. And you got this piece and that piece and this piece and that piece. It is a progressive revelation. Are y'all with me? Say that with me. It is a. And from Genesis all the way to Malachi. God is writing and drawing and pointing to Jesus Christ. Every book talks about all the way from the beginning. The very first time we see a a messianic prophecy is when in the garden, if y'all remember when man fell and and, and the the snake, the serpent, Satan deceived Eve and and Adam sinned and fell in the transgression. Are y'all with me? And, and that took place and he said, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Your seed and her seed, your seed and her seed are going to have animosity. In other words, the good with the bad, the devil's seed with the seed of, 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 of the woman. And the, that is talking about Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me? He said, your crowd is going to bruise his heel. You're going to wound him. You're going to hurt him. But he is going to bust your head. Now, now, what is that? In that day, in that day, a heel wound was not fatal, but a head wound was fatal. He is saying, devil, you're going to hurt him, but he's going to destroy you. And by the way, he's going to destroy you with the effort that you make to hurt him. Because it was the, the, hallelujah, it was the cross of Calvary that was the nail in the coffin to Satan. It was a done deal. Victory at Calvary brought victory to all of us. And in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a little piece here and a little piece there and a little fragment here and a little fragment there. And God was steadily, steadily revealed. Let me give you an illustration. How many of y'all remember Isaac? Isaac, you know what he did? You know what he did? He was a son of a miracle. He was a son of a miracle. There was no way possible physically, humanly speaking, that Abraham and Sarah could have a boy or have anything. As far as that goes, anything. But God said it's going to happen. He was a miracle child. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was a miracle child. Listen, he, Isaac was loved of his father, loved of his father. But one day God said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. And I want you to take him to a place that I will show thee. 
And he took him to Mount Moriah. By the way, if you don't know where that's at, that's the very place that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on Calvary. God took Abraham. The Bible says he preached the gospel to Abraham. Abraham went to the place where God's son was going to die. And listen, when he got to the, man, when he got to the mountain, the Bible said he strapped. And by the way, by the way, don't listen to and watch no kind of false teaching and anybody to tell you this was a little lad and a little child. Uh, if you talk to any Jewish rabbi, he was 33 years old. He was not a young man. He was not a toddler. Man, I studied that today and found that and I about run around my office. You know why? Because he was a type. He was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me? And he put the wood on his back. Jesus carried the wood up Mount Calvary. He laid him on the altar. And listen, the, Abraham was about to kill his son. And God said, hold up, hold up. He turned around and saw a ram in the thicket. And the ram was caught by the thorns on his head. Are y'all with me? Jesus Christ had a thorn. What was God doing? He was drawing a picture of his son. It was a type. It was a shadow. How about Joseph? Man, poor old Joseph. That poor fellow, he just went through it, didn't he? He was the father's favorite. He had a coat of many colors. He was betrayed by his brethren. He spent time in the prison. If you go to Israel with me, you'll see that. The prison that Jesus was in. Listen, the pit that he was in. He, listen here. Hallelujah. Say amen. amen. This is good. I'm telling you. He became wealthy. He took a Gentile bride. And by the way, if you don't know what that means, that's the church, by the way. He was sold and betrayed for silver. Preacher, what are, you, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Joseph is the greatest type of Christ in all of the Bible. You say, why did Joseph have to go through this? And why did Joseph have to go through that? And why did, because God was drawing a picture of his son. This wasn't about Joseph at all. Joseph was just a puppet in the play. It was God wanting this whole world to know that one day I'm going to send my son and he is going to deliver the whole world. Who at sundry times in divers places, he spoke to us through the prophets, through the prophets. Now, let me show you what it says about that. One minute. Look here. Look here. Now, we ain't got time. Stop. We got to stop. Because there ain't no way I'm going to get that and not get in that second point. The second point, though. Let me just give you the words. What was number one? The past. Then I want you to write this down. The present realization. He spoke in the past through the prophets in many different ways, multiple ways. But now he's speaking through his son. His son is the last word. You see, verse one is the Old Testament. Verse 2 is the New Testament. You see, the beginning of the New Testament is the Son is here. And and the epistles, y'all with me? The epistles talk all about the Son and His bride, the church. The end, Revelation, is He's coming back. Now watch this. This is that word. Just the word revelation. It means unveiling, uncovering. And what does it say? The revelation of God's son. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole book is about Christ. The whole book is. It's broken up in three parts. It is. And you find that in, I think it's Revelation 1, 
14, I think. He said, he says, John, I want you to write the things which thou hast seen. That's chapter 1. The things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3. That's the seven letters to the seven churches. That's modern day, present day. What we're in now, we're in the church age. And then chapters 4, throughout the end of the book, is this is God's son. This is the vision of God's son. This is God's son's church, his bride. Then it is the son's coming. The, the, God's son, the son's character, the son's church, and the son's coming. From Revelation 4 all the way to the end, he's coming again. He's coming again. And anyway, stand up. I promised, I went like way long in the second service. And they had like a ton of kids up there. Yes, it was. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Amen. Woo. All right. All right. Here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you to do. One thing that will add a lot of icing to the cake for you guys is read the book of Revelation. Not Revelation. I'm sorry. Leviticus. I know what you think. Oh, my goodness. Great. Levitical law. No, no. Seriously. Read Leviticus in your own time and your own reading. Read Leviticus because what you're going to learn in Leviticus is the, the symbolism. You're going to see all of those types that we're going to talk about in Hebrews. And the more you know about Leviticus, the more you're going to understand about Hebrews. When we start talking about the sacrifice and why he's a better sacrifice and why the sacrifices were used and what they were for. Are y'all with me? So you don't have to because y'all know I'm going to give you outlines and all that kind of stuff. But if you just for you, if you like to do this kind of stuff, research, read the book of Leviticus and read the book of Hebrews together. And, uh, and it'll, it'll put a lot of substance to your study. All right? And all God's people say it.